Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Welcome to the podcast that is always up to speed with Formula One. This is Mark Hamilton, joined as always by my co-host who's looking down at me from his castle <laughs> upon hither, his mansion in the estates that are the Westwood Plateau in Coquitlam, British Columbia, my friend Mark Daly. Everybody, thank you for joining. I was expecting that today I would be celebrating above all the birthday of the hip-hop legend, the rap god Drake, his 35th birthday, but rather Liberty, Max Verstappen, Lewis Hamilton, Red Bull, Mercedes treated us to an absolutely spectacular Grand Prix at the Circuit of the Americas. It was an unbelievable homecoming. This is the first race we've had in continental North America in two years. And boy, was the wait worth it. My friend, how are you? Very, very good. And much uh, like yourself, I'm really enjoying the the afterglow, the, the, the post-race, everything, because it was a wonderful weekend. Great to see 400,000 people packing Coda to the rafters as we start to emerge from the COVID nightmare and kind of shake off that hangover. But great to see. And, uh, you know, I had to laugh. And I'm probably not only the, the only person that noticed this, but on the podium, we had Mr. Shaquille O'Neal, NBA legend. And I thought it was hilarious that Shaq, just standing there on the podium, was almost as tall as Max, was taller than Checo, taller than <laughs> Lewis, who were both standing on pedestals. I thought it was uh, quite funny. But Shaq certainly made quite the entrance. And it looked hot there. I don't know if you noticed, but Shaq was just dripping with sweat. I mean, the weather was awesome. It looked really, really good. And uh, like you say, I mean, that the weather and the atmosphere is just a reflection of what we saw on the track. It, uh, it lived up to the hype. And um, yeah, it's really going to be an intense five races to go. And we'll, we'll talk about this because th this is a different championship fight than Lewis, I think, has ever had. I mean, obviously much different than what he had with uh, Nico Rosberg four or five years ago back in 2016. Obviously he had that inter-team dynamic. But the thing is, I mean, th these two guys, I mean, there's there's not a lot between Lewis and Max at the moment. But before we do that, let us just uh, go down the, well, let's first of all do the, well, let's do the the the, the championship because I have that. No, I don't. So I've got, what do I, do I have here? I'm completely, well, completely while mixed up. While you're looking up. that up, I do have a, <laughs> I have a stat. And sure. I actually created this stat by dragging and dropping the results from the 2016 championship nice. into Excel and running a few formulas, which I'm known to do quite poorly at work. Typically, I'm tapping oh, man, on after my, my own heart via teams. Like, hey, I, how do I sum up this formula? But I wanted to go back and look at 2016. So yep. last time Lewis was in a very intense championship battle that went right down to the wire was 2016 with Nico Rosberg. Now, 2016 was different because it was a 21 race championship as opposed to 22 this year. But a couple of interesting stats. So again, it came down to the final race that year. Lewis 
didn't triumph. Nico did, despite the fact that he finished in second place in that race. But after 17 Grand Prix in 2016, Mm -hmm. Nico had 313 points and Lewis had 280. So a 23 point Delta. Now, with five races remaining that year, which might be a better comp given the fact that the calendar mm-hmm. was slightly different versus this year, Nico had 288 points versus Lewis's 23 points. So as you're going to speak to in a couple of minutes, right now that that gap, that delta is 13 points. My point being after all of this horribly boring math is that <laughs> the championship is still far, far, far oh, totally, from decided totally. with five Grand Prix left. Yeah, and uh, it, it is wide open. I mean, Max has a bit of a cushion, but that can evaporate, uh, you know, like, like dust in the wind. But I did get my act together here finally. I do have the final race classification. So here is the top 10 finishers at the Circuit of Americas for the U.S. Grand Prix 2021 Sunday afternoon. Max Verstappen leading home Lewis Hamilton by 1.3 seconds. Checo Perez out there in the middle of nowhere all by himself to round out the podium. Charles Leclerc fourth for Ferrari. Danny Ricardo fifth for uh, McLaren. Valtteri Bottas recovering somewhat-ish for the second Mercedes to come home in six after replacing, what was his six internal combustion units? Yeah. Engine of the, the, the year. Races. Crazy. Yeah, it's been busy. Cra- uh, sorry, then going Carlos Sainz was uh, seventh for Ferrari. Lando eighth in the second uh, McLaren. A bit of a, an anonymous afternoon for, for Lando Norris. Yuki Tsunoda ninth and Sebastian Vettel squeaking into the, the points paying position. Tenth for the Aston Martin driver. Now going to, over to the or driver's uh, championship, first of all, Max Verstappen, 287 and a half points, uh, 13 points ahead of his rival Lewis Hamilton has 275 and a half. Valtteri Bottas, 185. Sergio Perez now leapfrogging Lando by a single point into fourth in the Drivers' Championship with 150. Lando with 149. That rounds out the top five in the Drivers. On the Constructors' side, you know, this one is still wide open too. I was starting to think that we're starting to see a little bit of daylight between Mercedes and Red Bull, but of course it was um, not quite as clear-cut as that. I mean, Mercedes still enjoying an advantage. They got 460 and a half points compared to 430. 37 and a half for Red Bull. McLaren still just edging ahead of uh, Ferrari and the uh, constructors. Uh, the McLaren, let's see, what do I have in my notes here? 254 compared to 250 and a half for Ferrari. And then Alpine, despite a double DNF on Sunday with 104. So still everything to play for with the top two. And for third, I mean, that's going to go right down to the wire. I mean, too close to call between Ferrari and McLaren at the moment. But that gap has narrowed a little bit. And with five races to go, we have news that Lewis is probably going to have to change out an internal combustion engine as well uh, before the end of the season. So this is not settled by any stretch of the imagination. Now, what? where, where do we want to start? Because there are plenty of t- uh, talking points. Lewis and Max on the front row to start this one, as we've seen several times over the years that by the time they finished lap one, the guy who started second on the uh, on the grid was leading the cars by, by the time lap one was done. Um, Lewis had a great start. I mean, he just rocketed off uh, the, the, you know, his uh, his starting spot on the grid. Max tried to put the squeeze on him. They went through turn one cleanly. Thank God for that. Because, I mean, that's come to tears numerous times this year. And that's the last thing that we needed. We we needed these guys to race all afternoon. 
And uh, it really kind of set up a, a real interesting battle of the minds on the pit walls, back in the garages, back at Team HQ for both, Mac- uh, I was going to say McLaren, pardon me, both Mercedes and Red Bull. Uh, Red Bull doing the double undercut, Lewis extending, and it was interesting because <laughs> when, when it came down to it, Max was basically had nothing left on his tires, if uh, Red Bull's uh, to believed, and Lewis was being told it's going to come down to the last three laps, mate. And I really thought that once he was taking chunks out of that that lead that Max had, he would with, be within a DRS uh, distance within that one second with those last three, four, maybe even five laps. As it turned out, he only got within that one second uh, buffer to activate the DRS once. And then Max becoming getting very fortunate, uh, lapping Mick Schumacher, what was the second last uh, lap? Uh, I guess it was the penultimate lap getting DRS when he lapped Mick Schumacher, which, you know, ultimately made the, the difference. But I mean, a second, 1.3 seconds between the, the the pair of these guys was incredible. And uh, like I said, right off the top, there is very little between the Red Bull, very little between the Mercedes, very little between Lewis and Max. It came down to strategy and you can't really fault either team. They both tried their different methods and I think at the end of the day, there, there was a little bit of good fortune. I always hate doing that because saying that because you tend to make your own uh, good luck, but you know, it, it really could have gone either way. It really could have. Absolutely. And I, I think you've just presented the listeners with a really great summary of what we witnessed this afternoon. I think you're right, especially when we came to that first corner. Lewis had a phenomenal start. So good, in fact, that I was afraid the stewards might review it because mm-hmm. it may have been a, a bit of a jump start there, but it was clean. You're right. He absolutely gets pushed going into that first corner. My heart sunk. And I think there was something unusual about this race leading it up to it in the days and the hours before. To me, it felt almost like you were heading into a big UFC match or a big boxing match and you're waiting for that that first poke, that first grab, that first kick. And there was this nervous, weird energy and, and anxiety and anticipation. And I think when they got through that first corner cleanly, almost all of that just melted away that, okay, thank goodness, Mm -hmm. we're going to have a Grand Prix and the outcome is going to be based on racing and it's going to be based on strategy. But I think some of my thoughts after having watched this race, and I don't want to draw any concrete conclusions because we still have five Grand Prix left though, is this was an absolute masterclass by Max Verstappen and by Lewis Hamilton. Neither of those drivers put a foot wrong, arguably all weekend. And on Sunday, they were perfect. And to your point, it really just came down to strategy and maybe a little bit of luck because obviously he got, uh, Max was able to hit that DRS activation zone right at the end because he got plugged up behind one of the back markers. But ultimately, I think it was going to be incredibly difficult because even if that didn't happen, Hamilton may have only had that one or two corners left to make that move. And maybe he gets him in the straight and we could have had an all-time epic conclusion But regardless, Max was perfect this weekend. Lewis was absolutely fantastic. Both of them had fantastic sub-three-second pit stops every single time. Pirelli had absolutely nailed the tire choices this weekend. We did not see the traction issues, the suspension issues that maybe we'd anticipated going into this weekend. Except for a couple drops of rain at the very end of Q3, the weather was perfect. The fans were absolutely served up a perfect Grand Prix weekend. But for me, I think the message is, the, the takeaway from this is, one, Max's absolutely soaking up every 
ounce of pressure. It's not just that he was in a position coming into this Grand Prix where he's leading the WDC championship, but he's put in a position where they take the maybe slightly riskier strategy and they bring him in for the undercut and ultimately it's successful. But with three, four, five laps left, Lewis is absolutely taking chunks, big bites out of his lead. And we go into that final lap and at points he's within a second and Max doesn't step a foot wrong. He's poised, he's controlled. And I think one of the things that was really startling after the fact was the admission from Red Bull that he was basically (laughs) racing on the carcass, the canvas of those tires. So But he's still setting purples and personal best sectors in those last couple of laps. I mean, how did he do it if there's nothing left? There's no meat left on those tires. It's mind-blowing. sheer talent and control of that car and using the aerodynamic grip to overcome the lack of mechanical grip because the tires were done. It was fantastic. It was a masterclass. I think we could probably argue, and I might argue, that maybe Mercedes should have uh, headed off that undercut knowing that that was ultimately going to be the best strategy, the best card in their in their playbook today from the Red Bull side. But that aside, it was a fantastic weekend. You nailed it. 400,000 people spun those turnstiles from Friday through Sunday. It's now being reported that is possibly the biggest Formula One Grand Prix weekend audience crowd we've ever seen. I cannot wait to see what the TV numbers are in Canada. I cannot wait to see what the TV numbers are in the U.S. We know we've cracked a million a couple of times on ESPN this year. It looks like this one was simulcast on ABC and ESPN. Do we hit 1.4? Do we hit 1.5 million people? A fantastic weekend. And as one of our friends of the show, Matt Sakaris, had tweeted out earlier today, is this that monumental turning point where F1 is now officially mainstream? We're going to Miami next year. We're going to have two races in the U.S. There's this constant chatter about looking at Vegas, and you and I have been mm-hmm. ahead of that curve. We've been talking about the fact that Liberty's long-term ambition has been to have three races since 2017. We've been talking about that for years, that you don't buy this property if you don't want to maximize your return in the U.S. So I know that was a long, <laughs> rambling diatribe, but back to you. Yeah, you know, there, there's a couple uh, really good points that you made there. I, I'm just going to pick up on uh, what you're just saying about that possible breakthrough moment in the USA when um, you know th- this might be that uh, that that epoch where it breaks through into the mainstream sporting consciousness and that's very well could be the case i mean 400,000 people over the, the the course of the weekend. I mean, the, the fans were on it the entire time. You could tell everybody knew what was happening. I mean, the support was great for the different drivers, not just for Lewis, not just for Max, but also oh, uh, Sergio. for Sergio, Sergio. Big, you Ricardo, know, Ricardo, Norris. Yeah, loved it. You know, all these different drivers getting the love and the re- respect that they deserved. And it was just uh, lent to a, a really fantastic uh, atmosphere. I, I do want to uh, talk uh, a little bit more about the strategy. And we're just he- heading into a break here. And before we do that, I just want to give a couple of shout outs because I've been a little bit, you know, I haven't been on point when it's been answering emails uh, lately. I just want to give a shout out to Christopher Swigert, uh, uh, Brian McDuel, McDuel, pardon me, and also our good friend uh, Joe Santucci. Also, JJ in H-Town sending us pictures from Coda all weekend long. Looked like he and his girlfriend were having the time of their life at, uh, at Coda. And uh, I have to admit that uh, I'm extremely jealous. I mean, all their, their their photos are these, you know, these 
lovely sun-drenched people with tans with big smiles on their faces obviously soaking up the the atmosphere and the uh, the, the event oh, and itself there were so many that's awesome more too. oh so yeah just to be yeah clear, absolutely we had them pouring in all weekend so thank you to everybody yeah thanks for all the emails thanks for all the tweets and with that we're going to take a quick break and when we come back i do want to touch more on what uh, just the, the whole strategy thing because i don't think you can point fingers that they did that right and they did that wrong and that cost lewis the race and that gave max the win it really to me came down to the two guys in the cars today and that's what we all that's what we all signed up for that's what we came to watch and uh, we were really treated to something special anyways time for a quick break we'll be back in just a moment so don't go away passion drive and patience the formula for winning championships is also what keeps your ride or die alive ebay motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance Superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to make your car the MVP and bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Okay, well, welcome back to the show. And of course, a shout out to our good friend, Michelle G, watching on the live stream on YouTube. Michelle, probably getting ready for that, what was it, 30-hour Amtrak trip uh, <laughs> back from Austin, which uh, <laughs> quite uh, the the odyssey, but uh, also sounds like it'd be uh, quite fun. Hope uh, that you enjoyed your weekend in Austin uh, as well, Michelle. Um, yeah, so going back to what uh, you were just talking about before the break, Mark, uh, obviously, Red Bull decided to go on the undercut twice. Lewis and Mercedes decided to extend on on his uh, stints, and ultimately, I, I was I was thinking, okay, if you're Max and Red Bull, you're probably going to be worried a little bit because, especially on that second stint, Lewis let went what was it eight nine laps further, which meant that his tires were going to be that much fresher at the end of the race. And I was thinking, okay, I could see the logic in bringing Max in for the undercut for the, for stop number one. Then number two, I'm like, ultimately, I don't know if this is going to work out for them. This might become a little little bit touch and go especially in those last 10 laps or something i mean uh, all the admissions from max and red bull proved that there was nothing left on those tires but you you made a really really good point that 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 came down to the the guy in the car to the driver himself overcoming what the, you know the, the disadvantages he was dealing with and that really sets the greats apart from just the 
you know, the normal drivers, the regular drivers, as if there's such a thing in Formula One, they're all extremely talented. Well, 19 of them are. Uh, <laughs> anyways, uh, I, I won't uh, elaborate any further, but I think you guys can read between the lines. Uh, but the same thing could be said for, for Lewis. And I think that goes for any driver, any of the great drivers. I mean, you can make the same arguments about um, guys like Michael Schumacher, Ayrton Senna, Alain Prost, Nicky Lauda, you know, all these greats from over the years that they just have that added, you know, element to what they're, they're able to do. I mean, you heard Martin Brundle uh, remark on it uh, during the course of the race. Max is out there. He's, he's, he's obviously racing hard and he's talking strategy and what are we doing with Checo and this and that. You know, he's, he's obviously multitasking. He's, he's obviously focusing on driving the car and, and nailing lap after lap and doing what he needs to do. But he's still thinking about the strategy and communicating that uh, with, with his engineer. And, and that really is those, you know, the difference that uh, you, you, do, you see with these top level guys. We've seen Lewis do it for years. Uh, Schumacher was the same way. And that's what really sets it apart. What is different right now in 2021 compared to 2016 between Nico and Lewis and, and, and no disrespect to Nico, uh, Nico Rosberg. I mean, successful Formula One driver, obviously a world champion, but I, I think that when you, you come comparing Nico Rosberg to Lewis Hamilton and Max Verstappen and Lewis Hamilton, that gap between Lewis and Max, especially this year, I mean, over the long term, that remains to be seen. But at least year on year, at a championship season, Max is closer to the level that Lewis is compared to, to, to Nico. Even though Nico did what he needed to do, he also had some very fortunate circumstances where Lewis had some, uh, you know, some struggles early in 2016. And uh, Max has had to fight for this. And moreover, I don't think that that, that Max is as... Uh, I mean, he obviously feels the pressure. I don't want to say that that he's kind of completely immune to it, but I really felt that, uh, especially when I saw Nico post all that that uh, the announcement all over social media channels back in 2016, week after he won the, the the championship at Abu Dhabi, you could tell that was a guy that was spent. He was done. You know, he went toe to toe with Lewis over the course of all those years, but especially in 2016 was a championship fight, and to me that looked like a guy that was done. You know, it's just like I'm I'm shocked, but I'm not shocked when I when I see the emotion in his face I hear it in his voice and and, and to Max you know I won't say it's a, a water off a duck's back kind of thing but I certainly feel that he's able to tolerate it more and I don't know why if that's a character thing maybe because well I mean you can't make a, make the, the comment well Max grew up with it I mean <laughs> Nico his dad Keke Rosberg 1982 Formula One world champion I mean these guys have grown up around motorsports so it's not like one has some sort of advantage, uh, you know, that being coached by uh, by uh, by a father that's a Formula One driver. So, I, I think it's really coming a lot down to, to, to personality. And I think that even though Max is a very different person, a very different personality than Lewis, I think that when it, the one thing that they do share is that they are unflappable. I think that they are very very grounded, and they can they can really absorb a lot of this pressure, and it doesn't get to them as much as maybe it does to other drivers. Just just my thoughts. I think that's a, a fantastic summary, and I can't help but agree with all of it. And I strongly believe that so much of what 
Max Verstappen is criticized for, which is his lack of engagement with social media, his lack of participation in Netflix, his lack of being on the town and being spotted at clubs and rocking brand name designer clothing on the red carpet, the things that we want to see from our celebrities and from our heroes and from our athletic superstars, the things that we expect to maybe see in 2021, all those things that he's criticized for not doing are probably all the things that make him so successful in the sense that he is machine-like in his approach to Formula One. It's a no-nonsense, strategic, tactical lifestyle that he's decided to live. And I can't also help but wonder that so much of what makes him strong in his ability to overcome or for that pressure, like you said, to be like water off a duck's back is really a byproduct of having grown up with a F1 driver as a father who was notoriously strict. And I think what maybe a lot of F1 drivers might be feeling or experiencing for the first time when it comes to holding off a seven times world championship in a very close title fight, the pressure that that would deliver is something that maybe isn't new or unique to him, that this is something that he's dealt with his entire career. And now that he's in this moment where a lot of people would crumble, he's thriving because it's not something that's new to him. And just to kind of put this into perspective, he is now, and when I say he, Max Verstappen, he now currently sits 17th in Formula One history in total race victories and total Grand Prix victory with 18. Every single driver ahead of him has won a Formula One world championship. So now he's in rarefied air. But to put into perspective how monumental this championship is, coming into 2021, he had 10 Formula One Grand Prix victories. That's fantastic. 10 victories in five, six years. That is fantastic. Any driver would celebrate 10 Grand Prix victories for their career. Mm -hmm. The most race victories he'd had in a single season was three in 2019. And in 2020, he scored just two, although it was a slightly abbreviated calendar. This year, he has eight Grand Prix victories. That's amongst the most all time. He is now in legendary status. Now, all of this is for naught. It means nothing if he can't win a championship, but it looks like everything is dialed in. And admittedly, I have a soft spot for Lewis. I, I like Lewis. I followed Lewis since 2007. But even for me, it's it's now very difficult when you sit down, you pull out the calculator to try to calculate a successful route that Lewis can find to the championship because you can't count on a really bad error by Max. Now, that's not to say we don't see something problematic in the box or a mechanical failure or something of, of that nature. Now, that said, I would rather see Lewis not win the championship than win the championship because of a tire failure that his arch rival has in the last race of the season. Yeah. I will be very clear about that. But Max is putting in a fantastic campaign and the pressure just doesn't seem to matter to him. And I think it's for all the reasons that you described. And I think it's because of the culture and environment that he grew up in that the pressure that a lot of drivers would feel now is just not something that's unique or new to him. And he's been through it before and he knows how to navigate navigate that type of atmosphere. You know, it is amazing. I mean, for how many years have we watched Lewis never put a wheel wrong? And when he needed to deliver, he could always deliver that one hot lap to nail a pole. Or if he needed to go out and win a race, he'd go out and win it. 
And I, I would just love to know what's going through his mind when, you know, he's fighting head to head with Max Verstappen. And it's not like he can't beat Max. I mean, we've seen him beat him head to head, and I'm sure he'll probably win some races before this season is over. But you just have to kind of think, you know, what is going through Lewis's mind after this race is, you know, we had our strategy was good. The car was good. I had an amazing start and, and here I was, we'd set this thing up that I could go at this guy. I could attack him hard in those last five, six laps or three laps, whatever it was. That's what we were aiming for. That was going to be our opportunity. And it didn't materialize because this guy, even though his tires were almost 10 laps older than mine, he's still setting purple sectors. He's still setting personal bests. And I'm not able to get it within that one second. I'm only able to activate that DRS once. I'm not even getting close to putting him under any pressure to make a move. It's not like Lewis got close enough and then kind of, you know, starts pulling one way or another and trying to, you know, make Max think that he's trying to make a move. That just never happened. And you just have to, you know, you have to think, well, wh- what do I need to do? And that's why I thought the, uh, the the radio broadcast or the radio message from Toto at the end of the race, you know, praising Lewis for an absolutely brilliant race and, uh, you know, you know, giving his uh, driver the props that he uh, deserved, I think was interesting because, you know, I mean, there's that old saying from Ayrton Senna that second is just the first of the losers. But I mean, I don't think that you can call Lewis the first of the losers today because, I mean, he raced hard. So did Max. And that's why I think it's just an extremely fascinating dynamic and situation that these guys were going head to head at it, like on two different strategies. And it really just came down to the smallest of margins. And I mean, it's unique. We don't see things like this happen very much. And I, I think that it really is going to say, you know, set up a fascinating five races to go. I mean, I mentioned earlier that added twist that uh, Lewis is going to probably have to replace his ice at some point, And there's going to be a disadvantage there. I mean, he's looking at least a five um, place grid penalty at the, you know, at minimum, if he replaces that internal combustion unit, or sorry, internal combustion engine. So, you know, like you say, there's no easy route for Lewis to to, to win this championship. That's not to say that he can't, but I, I think that if it wasn't apparent before now, and I mean, Lewis is a smart guy. I mean, he knows what's what, that uh, that Max is not going to go quietly. And there, there is very, very little between the, the Red Bull and the Mercedes. And it's, it, it's going to be fun. It's going to be a lot of fun when we go to Mexico, to Brazil, go back to the Middle East to close out the season. And full credit to Max Verstappen because Lewis has been spectacular this year. And I know if you look, if you bring up F1 2021 on Wikipedia and you look at that really great grid that breaks out classification race over race, you you see the domination from Max Verstappen, at least when it comes to those first place finishes on the podium. But ultimately, Lewis has been extremely good this year. So if if Max wins, if he doesn't, full credit to Max because he went head to head with the best. And I think mm-hmm. if he wins this championship, that will be one of the crown jewels in his resume at the end of his career that he'll be able to say, look, I had a year, the opportunity to go against perhaps the all-time greatest driver in a car that was effectively on par, and I, I took that that championship. So I, I think... Full credit to Lewis, full credit to Max. And just to kind of speak to your point as well, a quick quote here from Total Wolf. 
He says, I think we could have won the race, of course, because we were in the lead and we had a very strong pace on the hard tire. But in a way, we need to retrace this entire weekend from Friday to Sunday. Where did we misjudge? Where did it go wrong? What did we do well? And there will be plenty of discussion, positive discussions about what to learn from this weekend. So obviously that team is going to take a very close look at this race weekend. And I think obviously if you look at the setup of the car, it was dialed in. It looks fantastic. I think we were expecting that Mercedes was going to have an edge. Lewis got that fantastic jump from the start. And really the only question is the only variable that's left open to debate is possibly the strategy when it came to, uh, I would say, undercutting the potential undercut. And I think really if you look at the the length and the duration of the season, the only really egregious mistake I think that we can probably hand to Lewis was that mistake at Baku on that restart where Mm -hmm. he had that advantage because unfortunately, Max Verstappen had the tire failure. He had the opportunity to take the lead, finish the race, and he made an egregious driver error, an unforced error, and threw away all of those points. But had he not, we could have been in a position where he has a 12-point lead. And that's not the situation, but it's still a very close championship. So as difficult as it might be for him to overcome this deficit, it's still doable because let's not forget as well, he won the final four races of the season despite a hefty deficit and all the pressure in the world from Nico Rosberg. Yeah. Yeah, I've got some more thoughts on this and uh, I'll get into it. We're going to take a quick break here. We're going to come back on the flip side and uh, we'll still continue to deconstruct and discuss the uh, 2021 U.S. Grand Prix. So don't go away. We'll be back after a short message from our sponsors. Okay, well, welcome back to the show. And Mark, uh, as you were talking there just in that previous segment uh, before the break, that's just how remarkable this this race was. If you look at some of the, the, the quotes that are out there, uh, see the first one, Hamilton says he's unsure how Mercedes might have beaten Red Bull. Uh, whereas uh, Christian Horner, Red Bull team principal, says he was skeptical that they could have won the U.S. Grand Prix considering the state of Verstappen's tires. Uh, Max Verstappen says he felt unsure if aggressive strategy beat Hamilton for U.S. Grand Prix, or for the U.S. Grand Prix win. And, and I think that just speaks to how remarkable this this race was. And I think it just speaks, you know, mountains to the fact that that both these teams, both these drivers, they put everything into this race. They knew how big this race was. I mean, if Lewis wins this race, he goes away from, from uh, Austin. He's got a single point lead in the championship. He finishes second. Max extends his lead in the the, the championship. What, what what was it going into this weekend? Four points or something like six, that. Six, six points. points. Yeah, thank you. Now it, it extends to thirteen. Like you say, it's it's not it's not twenty five. It's not a race win in the bag, but it is it's significant to a point. But I think that when when you hear the players themselves, if you hear the Total Wolves, you hear the Christian Horners, the Hamiltons, the Verstappens, just talking about, I don't know what we could have done more, or we weren't sure this was going to work, just goes to speak to the fact that that that, that nobody left anything out there on the track, that these teams, you know, you know, on the pit wall, in the garage, they put everything into this one, and it really came down to the thinnest of margins. And I, I think this will be a race that I think we're going to talk about for a long, long time to come. 
I completely agree. Says Christian Horner after this race, what an incredible victory and a double podium for the team. It's our first USGP win since 2013. So that would be their first win in the Turbo Hybrid era. Max's first win here. It's our first USGP win since 2013. And what a way to do it. At the beginning of the race, we had really great pace on the mediums and Max was able to put pressure on Lewis, but we know that he is so strong at the end of the race and he went long, which brought himself Mm -hmm. an advantage. So we went for track position and Max held on and managed the race superbly, especially his last stint on the hard tire to have enough left to keep his lead at the end. It was a tough race for Checo who had a drink system failure, but again, the way he managed the race was fantastic and you can see him growing in confidence with a second podium in consecutive races. And of course, that is going into Mexico. And the other consideration here too is, and I know you touched on this at the beginning, but Mercedes had a 30-point lead in the Constructors' Championship coming into this race. They've narrowed that now by seven, so it's down to a 23-point lead. And again, to kind of re- kind of reference back to that comment you made earlier about the McLaren-Ferrari battle, McLaren had a seven-and-a-half-point lead over Ferrari coming into this race. That is now down to just three-and-a-half points. So we have some exciting championships left. We've got some exciting battles for positioning in the constructors table. And again, the reason that we speak so much about the positioning in the constructors uh, table is really just due to the fact that all of the prize money is distributed based on where you finish. And a third place finish in the constructors table is worth possibly tens of millions of dollars of additional prize money. And McLaren, who's obviously in some significant financial need desperately (laughs) needs that money and ferrari likewise simply out of principle would love to be able to cash in this as well so five grand prix left the wdc is wide open the constructors is wide open third fourth place is wide open but we we do know is that after this race weekend leclerc signs perez norris have all now been outed they've been ousted from the i would say The realm of possibility of winning a driver's title uh, is really now just down to Max Lewis and Bates on the fringes, but I'm sure he'll likely be eliminated simply because of math after the Mexican Grand Prix, but lots left to fight for over these last five races. Yeah, absolutely. Mark, I want to change uh, gear now and uh, just allude oh, to the, like the, the comment. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's a nice seamless segue into the next uh, discussion. But you you mentioned uh, what what Matt was uh, tweeting earlier and what we were, you know, talking about in the group chat this afternoon. But I I, I can't help uh, but think about in just watching the the proceedings at Coda all weekend long that uh, you know, I, I think that it was helped certainly that there weren't really too many big name events. I know that today was NFL game day. I mean, there, there wasn't any World Series baseball. There wasn't really, I mean, you got like the two and three Indianapolis Colts playing the two and three San Francisco 49ers on Sunday night football in the rain that was just teaming it down and in the Bay Area. I mean, come on, that's not really, you know, I watched about 10 minutes. I'm like, yeah, you know, I'm good. I don't need to watch this game. So, I mean, they were fortunate from, from that point of view, but I think regardless what was happening, I, I think that there's been enough groundswell and, uh, you know, the, the, the way that the, the interest in Formula One and and the way that people have really, you know, fallen in love with with the the, the different drivers and the teams, especially over the past uh, year or so, I, I think that we're seeing a point to, to the point where this is really starting to pick up ahead of steam. It's starting to to snowball a little bit in in North America. And like I say, it might not be too long before I go down to the either the grocery stores or to to Seven Eleven. There's going to be a life size um, cutout of Lewis Hamilton trying to convince me to buy a case of Bud Light or sell me Twinkies or maybe he's on the face of a box of Wheaties or something like that. 
So I, I can't help uh, but wonder wh- where it goes from here. I mean, obviously, Drive to Survive has had uh, a, a huge thing, uh, a huge impact uh, on, on the sport. But when you see the amount of people that went there, and especially you know the the, the community you know that's grown up around this podcast, people coming from coast to coast to to, to go and watch this race in person, and who've had plans and, and have been jacked up to go to Coda for months, is is awesome. I completely agree. And this is where I get really excited because my preference when it comes to Formula One is less about talking about what's happening on the track as opposed to what's happening in the balance sheets. That's what really mm-hmm. excites me about Formula One. I think the one the one word of caution that I would have here is this. This is the first time we've had a race in two years. And in that sense, it was a bit of a reboot and a bit of novelty. It'll be very interesting to see if we see this amount of success next year, especially given the fact that Coda will be going head to head, not just with a race in Miami, but it's going to be going ahead with or head to head with a race in Montreal as well. So Mm -hmm. all of those sponsorship dollars, those fan dollars, consumers are going to have options next year that they didn't have this year. So it's exciting, but let's pump the brakes a little bit and just be cautious that maybe this was a bit of an anomaly. It's exciting, but it might be a bit of an anomaly. The other thing that I want to caution people about is there's absolutely a boom in the interest of Formula One, but none of that has translated into anything in terms of the financials for the sport, simply because it takes a little bit of time. There's a little bit of slack between suddenly new interest and the sport being able to monetize that because all of the existing TV networks, their previous contracts that were agreed long before this boom, all of this race sanctioning fees, uh, they were all signed and put on paper years before this newfound boom and interest in Formula One. So Formula One hasn't actually really been able to monetize any of this. Kudos to the race organizers in Coda for being able to capitalize on this. You know, we saw 120,000 people on Friday. We saw 120,000 people on Saturday. There were 140,000 people today. This smashes the previous record of 351,000 at the Silverstone British Grand Prix back in 2019. And I think that smashed the 2018 total by about 10 or 15 thousand mm-hmm. people. But let's be cautious because we're talking about the fact that this was an event that served the 400 million people that live in North America. And it was the only race we got this year. So it's cool. That's great. But let's be cautious. The other point that I want to be cautious about as well is the fact that there's suddenly this renewed optimism or desire to bring a third event to North America now to capitalize on this. And my point is, let's run the three-race North American calendar next year, three plus one if you want to count in Mexico City, and just get a sense of what that's going to look like. Because the last thing I want them to do is flood the market with three or four races and then suddenly be struggling to sell tickets and for that to become the headline. Now, all of that negativity aside, Let's focus on the positives here, which were we had 400,000 people flood into a track that struggled to sell out two, three, four, five years ago. This is great news. And the benefit of that is that we've now exposed 120 to 140,000 unique individuals, most of whom have probably never seen a Formula One race to the live product. Now they're hooked and they're going to talk about it and they're going to share their experiences and they're going to share their social media posts and they're going to spread this around like crazy. That is fantastic news, and I think we should all be excited about that. And says 
Zach Brown here. I'm just going to read this quote real quick. I think it's the biggest sporting event in the U.S. in a long time. I think it's the biggest sporting event in the world right now. Given the Olympics weren't able to have crowds, unfortunately, the crowds were phenomenal. He continues and he says the city is buzzing. And based on the feedback and the commentary that we got from a lot of people that live in and around Austin and are able to kind of draw that kind of comp between this event previous years, this event versus the Super Bowl, they said the buzz in that city is absolutely palpable. And I think that's exciting enough. Nice. Yeah. And the other thing is, uh, too, that uh, that I can't help but think is that uh, the, the, the other thing that, I mean, you got to get people interested. And the other thing that's kind of a bit of a spinoff uh, from that is also the merch thing, right? I mean, you know, we, we get messages all the time, like uh, on the email, on Twitter, people uh, asking us, you know, where can I get to F1 merch? I mean, it, not only is it, uh, you know, notoriously difficult to find, it's also ridiculously expensive. I mean, McLaren came out with those, uh, I guess, those limited edition football jerseys, you know, the three and four, you know, for, for Lando and Ricardo. I think they're going for, what, about? 125 bucks or something like that you know fairly fairly pricey and you know you're, you're looking at like 60 70 bucks for for a hat and stuff like that and you know i, I mean that is a, a part of it as well i mean i can walk outside right now and i i you know i'm almost guaranteed to see somebody walking around in a raiders shirt or a lakers hat or wearing like a european soccer jersey you know i mean you know th- those other sports have managed to do a, a good job of it i mean formula one is going to take a, a little bit i mean they've done a one Wonderful job marketing themselves with uh, with Drive to Survive, and we've had these stories that have been floating out there that perhaps that they might end up streaming on like uh, Amazon Prime or maybe uh, Netflix is going to you know make a move on it uh, you know on the sport in one way or another. I have to admit that I, I watched uh, this race uh, for the for the first time on the the Apple TV uh, oh! app. And you know what? I was, <laughs> I was, it was awesome. I mean, I, I've just been using the AirPlay function off of my phone, which has been decent. I mean, I'm not going to complain. I mean, it's a bit of a first world problem, you know, say, oh, I have to watch the F1 race, you know, streaming from my phone to my Apple TV. I mean, uh, none of that at all. But I started to play around with it a little bit afterwards, and I didn't want to do anything during the race, <laughs> you know, to interrupt the stream and kick myself out at an extremely interesting and riveting point, uh, especially in the the last 10 or 15 laps or so. But I have to admit that it, at first glance, it looks pretty good. So I, I'm, I'm quite pleased that they, they have that native F1, or sorry, Apple I have TV to, I have to interject. I'm so glad you brought this up because it was actually one of the bullet points that I had to kick off the podcast, and I completely missed it. I was so happy. So this was reported on social media a couple of days Mm -hmm. ago. So I got to try it out. And I've been doing the same thing you do, which is just airplay it from my phone to my Apple TV. It works fine. But oh my gosh, is it glorious that I can now watch one feed on my TV through the Apple TV app, which is fantastic. And I can watch a completely separate feed on my phone and then another on my computer. So I've kind of got that mission control type experience going now, which I see so many of our listeners posting. So I was extremely excited to see that or experience that as well. And just while we're on it. I want to give a shout out to a couple of our listeners that are posting in the live chat feed. Huffle Z Puffle, just going back to the commentary we had about the broadcast a couple of minutes ago. I think the broadcasters did a great job of keeping people on edge about whether Lewis would uh, catch Max or not. And people at the track seemed happy just to see some fast cars. I was shocked by how many super casual F1 fans and how many people who weren't even fans were at the track this weekend. Says Craig Day, the crowds were awesome. They need to pipe a bit more of the crowd noise into the broadcast. 400 thousand is that the netflix effect i think you and i would say at least partially although i think we would argue that you and i have probably had a bigger impact than netflix to be totally honest (laughs) 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 that's a bit of a humble brag (laughs) even went to the last uh u.s 
Grand Prix. And then just one final point on the broadcast as well. I think the next step in this evolution is going to be that they need to get a dedicated U.S. panel for the broadcast or they need to get dedicated U.S. broadcasters. And for those of you that had the pleasure of hearing her today, Danica Patrick joined the broadcast. Sky TV did a great job promoting this and she was fantastic. Crushed it. Yeah, she did a great job. That fantastic transcendent talent that they could bring into the booth that appeals to the historic NASCAR fan because she raced in NASCAR. She could appeal to the IndyCar fans and she could appeal to an entirely new demographic because she's so accessible. I think she would be a great fit as a permanent fixture, not necessarily with Sky because I think North America, the US, they really need their own booth at some point, potentially, Mm -hmm. or at least give list viewers the option, especially if everyone's watching via streaming service, give them the ability to kind of change up. You can have the Sky feed or you can have the US feed. Resurrect Speed TV, bro. Oh, exactly. (laughs) Exactly. I just want to make sure that I kind of called out those couple of comments in the live chat, but also give credit where credit's due because Danica was fantastic. Yeah, she was. She did an awesome job. Just going back to what you were saying just about uh, F1 TV and just the the opportunity to watch one feed on your your, your TV screen and then another on your phone. What I would like to to, to see them do, I also subscribe to to Dazzin, which um, I subscribe to so I can watch uh, English Premier League uh, League soccer, but it also has uh, NFL. So I can watch all my NFL games on there. And the one cool thing about their app is the, uh, the this multi-view uh, function that they have that you can add up to four different screens. So I mean, on any given, like, so, so for Champions League, uh, for from the UEFA Champions League, I'll, you know, if there's a couple of different games I want to watch, I'll be doing that uh, with the multi-screen thing. Certainly for NFL, you know, yeah, there, there's a couple of good games kind of going on head to head or, you know, they're going to different uh, commercial breaks. I'd love to be able to see the same thing with the F1 TV. You can have one screen that has the main TV broadcast. You can have set up, say, two more screens or three more screens. You know, you can have Lewis's in-car camera. You can have Max's. You can have, you know, Sebastian Vettel's or whoever. It would just, uh, I think that would be uh, really cool. So, uh, you know, F1 TV Pro people, if you're listening, uh, nudge, nudge, wink, wink. The people... Uh, you know, or at least me have spoken. <laughs> and certainly I think that would be, you know, joking aside, I think that would be a pretty cool feature to see added to, to what's, uh, I, I think, a fairly solid and a fairly good first iteration of this uh, the, this app. I would say I agree with all of that. And I just had a thought that I want to make sure I get out now because we've been giving Coda, the US Grand Prix, Liberty, Formula One, everyone involved, a ton of flowers, a couple of negatives from this weekend that we should acknowledge. Mm -hmm. Apparently, and we weren't there, logistically, apparently getting into and especially out of the track was a nightmare by all accounts. So I think we it's only fair for those of you that were there that we acknowledge this. Uh, Apparently, there were multi-hour waits for shuttles away from the track. They were short 100 buses, 100 shuttles. Sounds like they were short staff. They oversold parking and a lot of people that paid for premium accesses within the circuit weren't able to get it. So that said, I, I'm sure the U.S. Grand Prix and the race organizers will take that away and work to solve that next year. That said, it's not totally unusual. In 2019, when the French Grand Prix returned, they had the exact same issues with getting people into and out of parking. I was at the MotoGP race at Silverstone in 2016. My wife and I spent the better part of four hours in the parking lot trying to get out after that race as well. So not 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 trying to make excuses for them, but this type of thing happens, and I'm confident that they'll resolve it for next time. A couple of things that I want to touch on, and you and I actually spoke to this specifically last week because there was Mm -hmm. a question about, hey, are we going to see celebrities at Formula One? And I think my point was, 
I'm cool with celebrities being there if they want to be there. What I don't want to see is this BS pomp and circumstance where F1 tries to buy credibility with casual viewers by trotting out a celebrity. And there was a moment towards the end of the race that was absolutely inexcusable where they cut away from the action on the track to show Ben Stiller for a fraction of a second <laughs> in a garage. Why are you showing us somebody who in 2021 is a borderline C-list celebrity as opposed to the traffic? All that's going to do is annoy you. And furthermore, I don't know if you saw, but prior to the race, everyone was celebrating that Martin Brundle was back on the grid doing a track walk. And everyone was excited about this. And if you don't know, he approaches teams, team principals, drivers, celebrity, whoever's there. And he approached Megan The Stallion, who is a rapper that I am a big fan of. And my son absolutely loves her music video, Hot Girl Summer, which he absolutely should not be exposed to as a four-year-old, but it's a <laughs> constant loop upstairs on our main TV. But he approached her and she and her posse didn't understand what he was doing or who he was. And he basically <laughs> got shoved out of camera on live TV. So a little bit oh, embarrassing for F1. Yeah, it's where I'll, I'll send you the link later. A little bit, it's funny in hindsight, but it was embarrassing for F1. So all of that said, I I've derailed the podcast, so I will put it back to you to fix what I've ruined. Well, I, I just uh, I just have to throw it out there. Was uh, Ben there maybe promoing Dodgeball 2 or whatever, <laughs> <laughs> whatever's coming next? Uh, Anyways, uh, there, there was something else that had kind of popped into my mind there that, uh, oh, I know what it was, uh, just talking about some of the logistical things. So anybody that's been to Spa, anybody that's been to Silverstone or the Nürburgring, you know, they're, they're making, uh, you know, people who went to Coda and suffered through some of these uh, long waits as uh, honorary members because not all the totally. my, I mean, Hockenheim is one of these awesome tracks. I mean, the, the back of the grandstand is literally on the Autobahn. I mean, you can get like in and out, but some of these tracks, uh, like the Nürburgring, like Spa, like Silverstone are a little bit far removed and, um, you know, sometimes only accessible by two lane roads, which is not exactly. really ideal exactly. when you're trying to get uh, a quarter million people in and out of a venue on, <laughs> on race day or whatever it, uh, it might be. But, uh, you know, having said that, I'm sure that they'll they'll, they'll get it uh, figured out, and then maybe there it'll, it'll be interesting to see what comes out over the, the the coming days and maybe week or two from the race organizers themselves. Because I mean, four hundred thousand people attending that event over the course of the weekend is absolutely remarkable, and uh, I would be interested to just hear feedback from the uh, you know the the race organizers themselves that you know this you know, greatly exceeded our expectations. You know, we, maybe we were expecting, you know, 250, maybe 300 tops, but to get 400,000 people. And I think as JJ in Houston said, they were sitting in what is called Hass Hill, you know, just, uh, I guess going up into to, to turn one. I mean, you saw some of these like general admission, like, uh, sections on the track, just, you know, it was like a ocean of people and all those grandstands were packed. I mean, it was a great look, not just for Coda. It was a great look for the sport because being, forcibly kept away from racing in uh, in the USA over the past uh, couple of years due to the pandemic. I mean, everybody was uh, up for it. And it looked, re it looked really, really good. I mean, we've seen plenty of empty venues for obvious reasons over the past uh, year and a half. And as things slowly start to go back to normal, this was, this was a welcome sight. Definitely. And the race organizers were clearly keen to capitalize on this interest. I don't know if you saw, but Coda were all over their social media channels within minutes of the conclusion of this race, requesting deposits for 2022. So it's no longer a question of likely will they sell out next year, but rather how quickly. So if you are interested in going next year, this is a best practice. I would highly recommend you go and get your deposit 
in now because it looks like there's going to be some strong demand. And on that note as well, if you did sign up for the Miami GP pre-sales, those start going live, I think, as soon as Tuesday. This week, I, I don't. It? Yeah, this yeah. week. I don't think we're going to be going. I just don't think we'll have the cash to, <laughs> to outlay after our, our trip this winter. But our pre-sale window is the 27th. So if anyone wants it, uh, reach out and I, I'd happily somehow try to make that happen for you. Cool. Yeah, I know it, it's kind of cool to think that uh, it's coming, but uh, I'm very interested to see what that uh, that ticket price point uh, will be to get uh, you know get into Miami uh, next year. It was just uh, one other comment from Huffles Puffle in the, the the YouTube live stream, and the quote is: "The traffic made me wish yet again that we had proper trains and proper public transit." <laughs> so, sounds like uh, there, there's some other bigger issues to take in consideration uh, in the great city of Austin, getting to and from Coda. There, anyways, Mark, is there, there anything else that we want to add uh, today oh you had something uh, we're running a contest aren't we so uh, i know that uh, this is debuted on uh, on our social media channels so i'm you tell everyone because this uh, this is your thing so go for it well, it's our thing. It's Everything our with this thing. show is our thing. Don't delegate the hard work. <laughs> that said, you do. And just so everyone's clear here, I basically fly into the race weekend studios about two seconds before we start recording. And the second we're done, I'm in my minivan heading back to <laughs> heading back to the the House of Horrors, which is where I live. No, I'm joking. Our house is awesome, and we definitely don't drive a minivan. But we decided <laughs> you that- certainly would not a, be a friend a, of mine if you did. <laughs> <laughs> in a, a bold effort to stimulate interest in this podcast and our social media channels, we decided that, hey, it's probably- time to do something fun and do a bit of a contest. And our thought was, how could we do a contest that is both personal and F1 related? And we had the idea that what we would do is serve up a contest in which the winner or winners potentially receive a 24 inch by 36 inch high quality poster of a Formula One car, a driver sent right to their address. And the thought was, what I could do is tap into my massive library of photos that I've taken at events over the years and tee these up. So ultimately, we have this contest. The winner, the basically the winner wins. That's a really complicated sentence for me. <laughs> but the winner will receive a poster of a Formula One driver driving their race car. Okay, I think I got that out. And the cool part is we'll provide five, six, seven, eight, ten different options, and the winner will get to pick which one they want. So I've got some great shots of Lewis. I've got some great shots of Lance. I've got some great shots of Max Verstappen. So I think we've got all of the favorites. I don't think I have a Lando, I'm afraid, but I definitely have some Daniel Ricardo in there as well. But a cool contest. No Mazepin? Come on. I'm not I'm not I'm not entering there's, this. There, there, even if no I Mazepin. had Mazepin, I'm not gonna waste my time. <laughs> spending an hour in Lightroom cleaning up that photo <laughs> for printing. But, and that, that story, that sounded cold. But we'll, we'll probably cold launch the entry details in a couple of days. Like I said, this is boldly uh, self-promotionary and an effort to help us drive um, members on Twitter. So wait for some details. Hopefully it'll be out soon. Unfortunately, the first round is going to be strictly for our North American listeners. If we do a second round, when we do a second round, we'll make sure we open it up to global audiences. So stay tuned. And then one final point that we probably should have brought up at the front and shame on us for this. Congratulations to Jamie Chadwick, two times W Series champion. The only reason she's probably not a three times championship uh, champion at this point is because of COVID in 2020 and the mm -hmm. fact that the W Series calendar was scrapped. Kudos to Alice Powell for putting in a phenomenal challenge. This championship went right down to the wire. The last race, there was a doubleheader at Coda. She 
clinched it in the last race of the calendar. Hopefully we see the same thing in the Formula One World Championship, but kudos to her, her team, everybody that helped her get to this level. That was fantastic. And again, kudos to the W Series and F1 for coming together and aligning their calendar because it gave thousands of additional people, tens of thousands of additional people, the opportunity to see women racing high, high performance open wheel racing cars on a world-class track because this is what we need to do to stimulate interest in young girls to get them onto the track, to get them carding. So 10, 15 years, five years from now, you and I are here talking about a grid, not of 20 males, but maybe 10 males and 10 females or 15 males and five females, whatever it is, whatever that gender mix looks like. We just want the sport to be more inclusive Mm -hmm. and having a high profile series like the W series absolutely does that. So that was fantastic to see. Uh, Shout out to Sebastian Vettel as well. Great job today. He came from a serious deficit to, I think he finished 10th place. So he scored in the points. Disastrous race for Lance Stroll came together with Nicholas Latifi on the first corner of the first lap. That was hugely unfortunate, but his really poor... Oh, his really poor campaign continues. I'm hoping to see some bright spots over the course of the last five races. Leclerc quietly put in a great race, but he was an absolute country mile behind Perez, who was ultimately a country mile behind Lewis. <laughs> Ricardo finished, as you alluded to earlier in this race, a couple spots ahead of Norris, and Bottas did what he could to finish in sixth and try to do a little bit of damage mitigation, a da- little bit of damage limitation when it came to the Constructors' Championship. And shout out to friend of the show, Tim Haraney, for the first time since COVID. He was on the set at TSN today doing a live drop recapping this race. So big shout out to Tim Haraney, a great friend of the show as always. You know, I have to, you know, th- this will sound a little bit uh, kind of bizarre, but I can't help but wonder if Tim actually wore pants because the joke is that we've been talking about that when he does these TV spots, he's wearing shirt and tie and jacket that he's wearing like <laughs> shorts or track pants, uh, you know, underneath because, you know, he's doing, been doing it from home. So, you know, Tim is the ultimate uh, professional. So <laughs> I'm just being a little bit uh, facetious. But anyways, I'm not wearing pants and I haven't even before COVID. So just putting that out there. Well, the, the, the good friend of mine, he always uses a hashtag on uh, Twitter. Pants are for suckers. You know, he's he's uh, he's shorts three, 24-7, 365. So, you know, it is uh, what it is. And on that bizarre notes, let's just uh, leave it there. I hope you guys all enjoyed the weekend at uh, Coda as much as we enjoyed watching it uh, from home. If you want to get in touch, by all means, do so. Send us a tweet at f one pod on the Twitters. Send us an email at scooteryf1pod at gmail.com. And that's it. That's a wrap. Mark and I will be back again in a couple days to recap all the latest news. And I'm sure there'll be plenty of talking points from this race and uh, as we go into the final five races on the season. And with that, we are out. Have a great week, guys. We'll talk to you again in a couple of days. Bye for now.